Hello and welcome to episode two of The Vasey View. This week I'm going to interview Pascal Cagny, who is the chairman of Business France, which is the inward investment agency of the French uh, government. I've known Pascal for many, many years. He worked for Apple for many years. He lived in London. Uh, he spent time at uh, a lot of tech conferences when I was a minister. Every tech conference I would go to, I would bump into Pascal. And uh, in the last three years, he's been undertaking this ambassador role and really leading the French push for inward investment into France and also supporting uh, President Macron in his policies in creating a tech ecosystem in France. And part of the purpose of this podcast is to really bring to you some interesting people outside of the UK and find out what is going on in other countries in Europe. And obviously France, having just recently overtaken the UK in terms of the most attractive inward investment destination in Europe, is a good place to start. So I hope you enjoy the interview. I think it's fair to say, certainly since President Macron took office and certainly since Pascal uh, took up his role, uh, that the French have really turbocharged their engagement with tech. They've put in place a very clear strategy both to attract inward investment into France in all fields, but also in tech, and also to support the startup ecosystem uh, in France. Now, I know that uh, Pascal doesn't want to be drawn into a, an us and them uh, discussion between the British and the French, but I would say to him that the British always look over their shoulders uh, at the French. We have a sort of uh, affectionate relationship, but we're also rivals. So it cut me to the quick uh, to learn, and I saw Pascal's name in the press release, that France last year overtook the UK for the first time in many years in terms of attracting inward investment into into France uh, as against the UK. So uh, it's one nil to the French. And that's another reason why I wanted to interview Pascal, because he's clearly doing a fantastic job. Welcome, Pascal. Welcome, Ed. Thank you so much for these nice words, which are putting pressure <laughs> right away on what we're going to uh, chat about. Um, yes. The truth of the matter, for many years, you have been far ahead of us. And uh, it's an amazing uh, uh, turn in our history or in our joint history, which come from the Entente Cordiale, never forget that, right? Which that uh, finally we gather or we put our act together and we're able to, to uh, overtook this year. And, and now the competition is, is very, very sound and very interesting because uh, we need to make sure that that's going to continue for the years ahead. We also overtook Germany two years ago, which is also a big one, knowing that Germany has an amazing Absolutely. power, right? So yeah. it was really about this. And, and I'm delighted to be here with you and, and chat about that. So before we talk about the present and the future, I just want to go backwards, because obviously, I think uh, our listeners will want to know a bit more about you, Pascal. So is it fair when I said that you, you've been described as Steve Jobs' right-hand man in, in Europe? You worked for Apple, I think, for 12 years. I'd love you to tell me about that experience, because you started with Apple before I think the iPhone was launched before the iPad was launched. I mean, I remember being an opposition uh, minister in 2009 when our great friend Brent Hoberman came over, came back from the US clutching an iPad. It was like coming back with the Holy Grail. It's incredible to think that it's both so recent 
uh, that uh, and yet so far away that the iPad and the iPhone became uh, ubiquitous. So I'd love to just hear a bit about the time you work with Apple and, and what you experienced in terms of the European market and Apple's work there. Absolutely fine. As you may appreciate, it has been an amazing journey for me. In fact, close to 13 years, I joined Apple in 2000. And at the time, actually, I had an offer from Michael Dell to join uh, Austin uh, mm -hmm. and to take a role on the worldwide base. Um, actually, I went to see uh, Steve and actually the old staff out there in Cupertino in what is called the Infinite Loop. Uh, and they convinced me that uh, the product that guy that I was I did build Packard Bell here in Europe, uh, being very successfully uh, working with uh, the Dixons groups at the time, right? I'm talking you now of the 95 to 2000 year. And essentially, I took a big bet. Uh, there was essentially the obvious choice for the young 35, 4 years old uh, uh, professional I was. But when I listened uh, the product and when I saw this front cover of Fortune, where you had the Aqua interface, which was the new designs of the operating systems of uh, the 10, which is something that I was for years dreaming of. And I uh, entertained discussion with Steve, but also already at the time with uh, uh, Avi Tevinian's John Rubinstein, which were the software, the hardware guy, as well as with Tim Cook already, which uh, mm -hmm. joined Apple just a year ago. It became a, a novice that I should uh, give it uh, a shot. And remember at that time, Apple was less than a $5 billion company essentially uh, close to bankruptcy back in 98, 99. Uh, thanks God, Steve came or actually took from the R&D developments, the iMac. And uh, we were not really in a recovery. Europe was a billion dollars business, losing essentially in terms of negative contributions close to 300 million dollars. And, and then the rest is history, right? We came with the iPod, uh, 23rd of October, 2001. Well, wow, you can remember uh, the date. I remember the date because I remember that day, a journalist, a good friend of mine in England, which told me, Pascal, why the hell are you not launching this on a, on a Windows? And actually, a mm. few months after, we launched the iPod with a software on the Windows platform. Because again, I, I don't want to talk like a dinosaur, but essentially, uh, Apple was supposed to be dying at the time, right? And then mm. we came with the phone. I'm talking now of June 17th. And effectively, on 28th of January 2010, we had an amazing coverage with the iPad. I know one of our fait de gloire, right, was to have more cover throughout Europe than the, the President Obama elections uh, launching wow. uh, the iPad, which I can tell you is a benchmark at the time. So, so that's the rest. The rest is history. We, I left the company uh, back in the end of 2012, essentially a year after Steve uh, died. I thought I should have a second life. I enjoyed uh, living in UK three times in my life, uh, typically from uh, 14th to 12th. Um, so it's been great here. And uh, I feel uh, UK as my second home by all means, having all my kids being raised, uh, educated and working mainly uh, out of uh, London or uh, the the United Kingdoms. So that's the story. Brilliant. I mean, I wanted to just explore because I, I mean, the the journey with Apple sounds absolutely amazing because you joined a company that wasn't particularly destined. You know, it's now the, obviously the most valuable company in the world or one of the most valuable companies in the world. But at the time, you, you can't have known that. But the other interesting thing, I think, is, you know, the British have it as well, this kind of slight sort of love hate with um, American companies. I mean, we all 
benefit from the investment of the big US tech companies. But at the same time, uh, there's always a feeling if you're European, if you're French or if you're British, why can't we create companies that big? So I can imagine in your role, your experience, you've worked with a number of US companies is incredibly valuable because you can understand the relationship from both sides. Yeah, and, and essentially I heard for so long, uh, typically Europeans technocrats are also very immature businessmen in Europe to tell me, Pascal, how can we create the Google, the Apple of Europe? Exactly, we thought, have that all the time. I, uh, yeah, I'm sure, and, and you you had that in your role, right? And essentially, yeah. it, it couldn't be something more, uh, um, more, uh, how can I say that, uh, disturbing for me to hear that, because it took essentially the valley, as you know, which I've been going for the first time when I was uh, 25, right? It took two or three or four decades. We need to remember that uh, the, the, the roots of the valley start from the 60s, from the 70s, the early days of the Schumberger, the early days of the Intel. It took essentially two or three decades to really get the full benefit of it. It took also the ability to attract talent. So it's, it's a journey which has been built over essentially uh, five decades, right? The 60s to 2010 or 20. Now, once you said about Europe, I've got a metaphor that I would like to share with you and suggest. I'm saying, look, guys, you can continue to point the fingers at the GAFAMs. You can eventually, and I agree with this, uh, regulate, do some public policy making, impose the GDPR, because we may have, as nations here in that side of this side of the Atlantic, a different way of looking at uh, privacy, at the protections of, pri of private rights. And all of that is fine, right? Uh, but maybe we should recognize that uh, we haven't created any of the top 10 or 20 uh, most valuable internet company over the last one or two decades. Yes, there is one called SAP coming from Germany, uh, running yeah. essentially ERP. And, and maybe we should look at and learn from something else. I have also this metaphor, which I hope you love, which is there is the GAFAMs, but there is also the NATOs. What are the NATOs? They are essentially the Netflix. Uh, Airbnb, Tesla, and Uber of this world. What do they have in common? They essentially deal with old economy sector, real estate, um, taxi, um, uh, car, um, mm -hmm. and essentially what they have done, they have no IP. They basically create value, which bring them the top 20 most valuable company, but better to point the finger at GAFAMs, they took full benefit of the platforms of the new modus operandi that the Amazons, the Facebook, or the Google has been bringing to uh, the, 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 anyone's essentially. So what I'm trying to say here is that, okay, we lost that battle. We, the Europeans, we may look at uh, creating own NATOs, piggybacking on the new innovations. We've got a cloud, which is all in the place. Cyber with the COVID is full of, uh, of needs and full of challenges. So let's basically rethink about how we take the benefit of this amazing GAFAM to ours. I mean, the, the Chinese done it, right? They create their own bats. To do that, they mm. basically impose uh, amazing uh, firewood and uh, beat the American company to go out there. We didn't do it. It was a strategy. Now they're here. Let's take them to our benefit. That's basically a different way of looking. I, I'm interested you call them the GAFAMs. We call them the FANGs, Facebook, Amazon, Google. 
Netflix, Facebook, Amazon, Netflix, Google, GAFAM, must, is, is that a French word? Is it word? Yeah, good point. Uh, it's Google. <laughs> uh, yeah, sorry, it's interesting. No, it's the classical driving on the right or the left side. Yeah, exactly. We had to, we, we to, we, we to do it differently, right? But I know about the fangs, obviously. The GAFAM is Google, Apple, Facebook, uh, Amazon, and Microsoft. And normally we say yeah. GAFAS, and then sometimes we add Microsoft uh, in, in the in the loop, right? That's that's. No, you see, that's something that's something I didn't know. So when I speak French like a native, when I mix in Paris, I'll, I'll uh, refer we, to the you GAFAS. Will, that's you good, will look that's even smarter know. than you are. <laughs> <laughs> One thing before I talk about the French government strategy and your approach, I just want to. Go, stay on this one topic about you know the U European Silicon Valley because the thing that I always used to say is the sort of the problem that government cannot solve that America has that I think Europe doesn't yet have is investment. So I do this kind of it's a terrible uh, cliche and I'm sure it's not true, but I always say you know if you look at Facebook, you look at a company where a venture capitalist were prepared to kind of put a hundred million dollars behind two guys in their back bedroom. It seems to me that not only do we not have the wall of capital that the US has, but we don't have the uh, boldness of their kind of investment strategy. We're Certainly British investors tend to want to see a return on their money much more quickly than American investors. Is that, do you get that feeling in terms of the French investment climate? Because you yourself are a seed investor. No, the truth of the matter is we gave so much that uh, I was pleased to live with my uh, minister of digital, right, Cedrico, and his mm -hmm. predecessor, uh, Munir Majubi, right, a big initiatives, which was all about bringing growth capital for growth stage company. And mm -hmm. I came when I was uh, learning back in 2012 to pitch about my own fund. Uh, which actually we move from just C to also do co-invest at a later stage, right? We're actually very much Serie A2O, which is called C4 Venture. When we basically, I was pitching for that, I was showing one or two core data is explaining both the gap and the opportunity. When you were looking at seed and Serie A, the overall amount of uh, money in, uh, uh, in the US versus Europe as a whole was a ratio of one to two. We gradually, over the last five to 10 years, did a good job to bridge the gap. We still had, obviously, a massive gap. But then when we're looking at the overall amount of capital deployed in US versus Europe into a later stage, B and plus, we were in a ratio one to four. So what's happening is that clearly, we haven't basically redirect enough of the savings of our compatriots towards the growth stage company we have been doing an okay jobs for the seed, the friend of mini money. We put some tax incentives. Remember what you put in place when you had in the UK, which I, I found was very small, which is the EIS scheme, right? Mm -hmm. We had something of the same to basically reduce the cost of the uh, wealth tax, which has now been canceled. So essentially, we had something there. That has been the job of the, of the 2000 to 2010. Now the obsessions of all is to go on the growth stage, because yes, you and I we know we, you and I we know as publicity, public policy maker that what creating jobs and wealth and leadership on a worldwide scale is the ability to have some of the unicorns getting either public or staying private, but creating thousands of jobs and bringing something which has been created uh, made in UK or in France on a worldwide scale. We don't have any of that. So what we did in France, if you want me to further elaborate on that, we're essentially doing 
what I do in my role of as ambassador for international investment, I'm basically inviting the large US VC, starting to bring also the Asians one, and basically mm -hmm. tell them, come to see our ecosystems, talk to uh, our best company. We even created, uh, Ed, I'm sure you follow that, we created the next 40. You know, the equivalent yes. of the FTSE 100 is called the CAC 40 in France, right? Mm -hmm. So we took the metaphor of that and we created the next 20, the next 40. Then below the CAC 40, we have what we call the uh, SBF 120. So we create yeah. the next 120. So we have now a stage by which on the top, you've got the next 40, the French tech 120. And we have now to just pour money at this company. Essentially, some will not succeed, but when you are raised 50 to 100 million dollars when you have the right governance the right board it means that essentially you've gone through a stage of a b c d and that your business is essentially under the scrutiny of smart investor and that you will do something with it now you in uk you're still far ahead of us you got in excess of 20 to 25 unicorns we're hardly getting to the 10th so i'm still seeing uk on the lead there and I'm still <laughs> pushing hard on my governments to do this. And, and that's another initiative that we'll be happy to talk about. But that's really what is at stake when you talk of tech. So let's talk about French policy. So President Macron, I think, uh, has made a big difference. I um, met Macron when he was the economics minister. Every British politician of my generation uh, in the Conservative Party was a fan of Macron. I remember when he became president, all of us put on Twitter, oh, I'm so pleased to see my close personal friend, President uh, Emmanuel Macron has become the president. In fact, I have a wonderful photograph that I show everyone I meet from France of Macron looking up at me as I give a speech at the British Embassy in Paris, which was a Founders Forum uh, event. But I also remember Macron coming to London when he was the economics minister, and he was coming to speak to French tech companies who were basing themselves in London because they felt they could grow their businesses more quickly in London because it was a more friendly kind of regulatory uh, regime than in France. And clearly, he uh, he's a bright man anyway, but he clearly had worked out that if he was going to let loose the Pascal Cagnes of this world and create the French unicorns, he had to do something about uh, supporting tech companies in France. So You've mentioned the next 40, uh, you've mentioned the 120. We have the French visa, uh, tech visa to help entrepreneurs come to France. Give us a bit of a flavor of the last two or three or four years of how you've created this ecosystem to support tech investment in France. Now, I could tell you if I was essentially a, a, a government apparatchik that is all, all due to the last two or three years of the governments. The truth <laughs> of the matter is that the genesis of that started, amazingly enough, to the same governments which were uh, not so so smart about uh, talking a 75 tax regime back in 2012. Even that uh, you and I, we know it doesn't make sense. Actually, mm -hmm. under the Hollande presidency, especially at the turn of the presidency after two years, when they really finally understood that the economy was was so important right a lot of uh, the good reform there and remember that president macron was already part of that right and he had mm -hmm. a language which was very much challenging he was essentially uh part of the presidency i had the privilege to meet him uh, in these early days 
And clearly, when you met uh, that uh, younger than any other generations uh, politicians are there, you said, wow, uh, he is the ultimate product from what we call the Civil Servant School here, Vienna. But he's at oh, yes. his best expressions. Because in the meantime, in between essentially being a big thinker, right? He has been spending years in a bank, which you know he gets a lot of criticizes for. He understands the value of economy and the entrepreneurs. And he benefits of something fundamental, which maybe you, you should also try to track and trace from now on. Now, if you ask the young French kids from 18 to 25, 10 years ago, what they want to do uh, later on, less than 13% 10 years ago will tell you they want to become entrepreneur. You ask the same question today, you will be at 66 to 70% based on mm -hmm. the opinion you weigh. So what I'm trying to say here is that 10, 20 years and my generations, the role model was to become either a civil servant doing this amazing school, the ENA, or is it actually to join banks, to do investment bank, to do consulting, or to join the France Telecom, Safran, Thales, Airbus of this world. That has changed dramatically over the course of the year, so much that the CAC 40, right, your FTSE mm -hmm. 100 equivalent, do have a tough time now to attract these generations. They all want to become startupper because oh, yeah. the role model moved from essentially being either a politician or a CEO of a public company with a very tough governance on the shoulder to become essentially a guy which create, which create a human entity called a company and develops it over the years. So that's a fundamental change. So it's all started from there. Then it starts from some public policy making, exactly what you say, right? I don't mm -hmm. believe that tax incentives can make, can make a huge differences. And actually any economic researcher will tell you that it's very rare that a tax incentive of any sort make a differences. But mm -hmm. something that the French have been doing well for 20 years, we decide as a community to put up to five to six billion dollars every year on the table for what we call the tax credit. It's called the CRI de CIR, Crédit d'impôt recherche. It's a tax credit by which if you do R&D up to 100 million dollars, we'll give you a tax rate of 30 million. And above mm -hmm. this uh, 100 million uh, threshold, we'll give you 10%. Now, if you keep the same policy making for 10 years, for 20 years, it basically yields a very good returns. And today, France has become a very unique spot for research and development. I'm even saying uh, sometimes that we have the El Dorado, right, of the R&D. And that's what I have been over the last two or three years in my modest role, right, trying to assault all the valley, but also any other company to say, come in, uh, in France, and do your R&D here, where to basically give you great academic support. You are going to be able to have access to uh, the second largest interior, interior, uh, internal market, right? Uh, which is yeah. the French market as a consumer. And you will get essentially a tax rate to reduce the cost of your accounts, which we know because of our welfare state, right? Is essentially extravagant compared to what you have that. And when you took that with the fact that in the Valley, there is an immense shortage of resources, we benefit of that second thing. So you see the, the, the cultural change, uh, a little bit of uh, public policy making together with the French passport, the French tech visa and so on. And the third element really was about, you have the role model, you have the raw material, which is a startup. You give them a chance to do R&D on the ground here, but then you want also to bring and develop the ecosystem for the capital, but also the accelerator incubator. And you have, we find our 
or kind of uh, role model, right, uh, which is essentially the Station F. The Station F is illustrating in one place at the center of Paris, in an old classical train station of the 19th century, which has been rebuilt, financed by one of our role model entrepreneurs, Xavier, we have been able to illustrate that change, right? I want to talk to you about Station F. I, uh, I, I, it's, it's run by this amazing woman who I think is American, Roxanne Vaza, and I read an interview with her uh, recently. I mean, and backed by Xavier Neal, who also has backed their Cold 42, which I'll talk about in a minute as well. But Station F, you're absolutely right. It's like a beacon. It's like a big, it's a building with, I think, a thousand tech startups in it, uh, but it's obviously functional in the sense it gives these guys space to develop and, and indeed to network, but it's also massively symbolic. It's like, uh, you know, it's like the Louvre of tech. It's like a monument to your commitment to tech. So t tell us a bit about Station F because it, 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 it has resonated. Yeah, you know, when I was running up or no, we're talking about uh, what is our um, La Meca shop, right? A, a yeah. shop which illustrates everything. And remember, I had this unique privilege uh, on um, on in, in 2005, uh, 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 yes, to open the Regent Street store. And then oh, we right. did the Covent Garden one. And then we did basically the White City one, like we did all other places. Now, I yeah. learned there deep, having at that day a long queue, you may recall that, right, of a yeah, miles yeah. of people waking in the morning, right? Having mm -hmm. the BBC and Sky coming over, trying to understand what are the crazy mad people <laughs> waiting for hours under the rain, under the sun, right, to do this. I understood the, the, the art of having something which is essentially is iconic and yeah. could play and illustrate. Because I can talk to you about the Station F and I will, but, but forget about the Station F a second and think about the 200 uh, incubators. Um, yeah. or the 200 accelerators that you will find. Actually, I will find sometimes too many, too fragmented. But it's yeah. also about Lyon, Marseille, Toulouse, Angers, Lille. And that's yeah. how you gradually build up, right, a momentum, a sense. And they, are, are they the all cool backed by the do. government? No, no government no. backed. No. Or no. you may have at best the regional governments going there, mm -hmm. right? No, mm -hmm. I mean, remember, the Station F is not backed the government, but the government was too happy to be out there for the yeah. opening, right? Uh, that's what yeah, you would have you done yourself, my dear, in your role as minister. You have gone yeah, and of go course. out there and cut the ribbon, right? Because yeah. it's essentially illustrating the support of that. So yeah. that's actually part of the cultural change. It's about less asking the states to do for you. And it goes back to the magnificent word of Kennedy, remember, right, in the 60s, which is about, yes. let's ask this, what you can do for the others or for the states, right? I'm sure I'm yeah. not giving you the proper language, but you see where I'm getting to. So what I'm trying to tell you here is that having this sense of entrepreneurships bring you and create the ecosystems, having the icon, which is the role model, illustrating the fact that this whole model is giving back, which is actually what the Valley does, right? What I've been doing is saying, whatever money I made out of my stock options, which is for years I've been uh, 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 an insult in France, right? Is essentially mm -hmm. reinvesting in the ecosystems. And what I'm modestly doing, we are in the hundreds uh, Europeans, uh, uh, French, uh, what brand does is really about that, right? So all of that to tell you that is the cultural change, is the icon, and yes, the station is something unique, right? We've got 30, um, 30 GPs, uh, ventures, which are there. We've got also the large group, which are endorsing the program with having Orange, L'Oréal, 
British Telecom uh, coming over to basically yeah. uh, um, sponsors uh, some startups. We so is B, have the British company, the British company BT is over in Station F as well, is it? And the point because no, Fantastic. it's a cool place to do is a, is a, is a co branding, uh, which is smart. Um, mm -hmm. I think it's very functional. Um, uh, it's a large space to fear. So obviously, mm -hmm. uh, you had early critics questioning whether or not. But then from the Station F, you've got more specialist incubator accelerators into the Internet of Things, into the FinTech, into uh, the sports, which has been surrounding the area, right? And again, it's nothing different from what we learned from you in, the, in, the, in, in, in London, right? In London, you had basically the Tech City program at the time. You also yep. had some new area of London, which has been refurbished, where it was cool to go. Me yeah. being an old bourgeois, I stood in Kensington where the French mafia is. You always criticize me about that. Absolutely. But I should yeah. have gone elsewhere, right? Uh, it was <laughs> not anymore uh, uh, the shortage, right? The shortage elsewhere, the tech city. It was not anymore about uh, Notting Hill and his uh, hippie style, but it was something different. So, so we need to recreate that. And I think that London still have this amazing flavor, still very unique, totally international, which I think is a core asset for you. Paris is getting there. We make progress. We're not yet fully, but I think um, if you give us some for New Year's, I will do this. Huh? Brilliant. So I just want to end up, Pascal, because you've covered a huge amount of ground. But talk us through, as our sort of end point of the podcast, the stars, the tech stars of France. We've heard, obviously, of Deezer and Blah Blah Car and Whiting's. I have a Whiting's Smart Scale and a Whiting's Smart Watch. Uh, these are the French stars that people know about. Who are the other, who are the stars, the unicorns that are making waves in France and who, who, are, uh, who are the up and coming companies that we should be taking notice of? No, uh, I mean, it would be tough for me giving my positions to say that, but I, I yeah. wanna, I wanna highlight, I talk about cloud computings. Um, mm -hmm. We basically don't have yet the, the Amazon Web Services, the Google uh, Web Services, but we've got mm -hmm. uh, an amazing company here called OVH that you mm -hmm. should look at. They are actually, mm -hmm. uh, one more time, an amazing founder, uh, a great professional CEO, which has joined them. They are in Lille. So that's on cloud computing. They got $650 million of funding. Um, mm -hmm. Yes, you named the Dr. Lieb, and God knows through the COVID how much the Dr. Lieb has been essentially uh, seen as a huge winner. Of the current time, right? Blah blah. This is where uh, this is uh, Dr. Lieb is where you can get consultations online. Yeah, yeah, and, and a lot yeah. more. But it makes it mm -hmm. totally easy, uh, seamless, mm -hmm. far more efficient, right? Uh, an amazing yeah. revolution, right? So you're in the convenience there. Uh, mm -hmm. We've got also a few companies that you not have heard of, which is essentially Ivalua, uh, uh, which is on procurements. Um, but we have few, right? The unicorns, which pass that amazing gap of the one billions, we only have uh, maybe seven, eight, nine, ten, right? Now look at the yeah. at the next one, which is the, the the next forty. Here, I think you've got some company like Alan that you may have seen Samuel and right, the founders, which came to with us to the founders forum. You may have mm -hmm. also company like uh, I think um, um, Ledger on the blockchains. Uh, uh -huh. You've got also an amazing gaming company on uh, on uh, with Voodoo. Uh, you got also Shift Technology of a company which just got amazing money, uh, being also in New York, um, which is um, which is Canton Square. Um, we have a company which gave me a lot of time, hard time when I was on the board of Kingfisher PLC. You no, know, we do the uh, home improvements and do it yourself. 
I joined this company nine, ten years ago because uh, I thought it would be interesting and challenging to look kind of an old business of a legacy business trying to do the that. But we have Mano Mano, which came in in France here. They took by storm and they give a hard time to Castorama and Leroy Merlin. So you got some of this company. So, it, but essentially the savoir-faire of the French, uh, we start to have some in the fintech space, not as, as many as, the, as you in the UK, but it's growing up big, big time. Mm -hmm. We got uh, definitely something on the AI, right? Arti artificial intelligence. Uh, yeah, yeah. That's going to be a savoir-faire, which is second to none here due to the academic uh, support. The Internet of Things wasn't bad. You talk about WeThinks. WeThinks yeah. is essentially a serial entrepreneurs. So he's doing that which that watch. He's doing also this um, uh, a handful numbers of other products, which are all with the concept of Internet of Things. Um, and then you will have, I think, also whatever relates to the cloud and to the services. SaaS is something, writing software is something that the French does well. I cannot tell you, and I don't want to tell you if whether or not we're better or as good as the, 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 the British, right? But you know, this is a savoir-faire because I've seen the valley, uh, the, the thousands, the tens of thousands of French engineers going out there for two or three decades because they had something unique. So that's to give just a, a snapshot of what I can see on top of my, of my leg. And the beauty I want to tell you is that 18 to 19, the, the total deployed capital to support these ecosystems has been doubling. We moved from 2.5 to 5.5. We are still behind the UK, which has continued to be a, a, a role model in many respects. But um, that's what we want to do uh, on the government. We want to continue to bring more money into the, the ecosystems, right? That's really what is at stake. And the place to live is good. Eurostar is now going back to tractions. I, I dream of a time where my French, having gone to UK, will continue to be there because you welcome them. They will not be worried about the Brexit, but I would love to welcome more of you, my British engineers coming over to Paris, right? I have to come with a sales pitch, right, as an ending point, but I think it will be more than, more than welcomes. Uh, and I think the two nations together in this corner of Europe need to be an area which is unique. Uh, remember, we own 60 to 70% of the defense R&D. Uh, I, I, I think that UK and France should join, ally, partners more, to continue to take full benefit of this uh, digital revolution. I totally agree, Pascal. As I say, I think there is a friendly rivalry between Britain and France, but I think one of the strengths uh, of Europe, which uh, goes back to my earlier point about what I described earlier as an obstacle, but one of the strengths is the competition. You know, you have these centers of tech expertise in Amsterdam, in Berlin, in Estonia, in France, in Paris, in London, and I think that uh, we compete against each other, but that competition, I think, creates a greater good. Listen, Pascal, um, if you even put half the energy into your job that you've put into this podcast, it's no wonder that you are being so successful. It's been a real pleasure. Uh, I've learned a lot listening to you. I hope that the people who listen to this podcast have been given a, just a flavour of uh, how exciting things are in France. And I Look on in love and admiration at everything you're doing. Thank you so much for spending time with me. You're too kind. Thank you so much. All the best. <laughs> Thank you, Pascal. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Vasey View, a production of Kindred Media. 